1: to Dr. Mara Karpel and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpel.com. And now we're also on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, February 2nd, 2020. It's Super Bowl Sunday and Groundhog's Day and i'm told that the groundhog has predicted an early spring this year. <laughs> and we're back live in Austin, Texas, where it appears that spring has already sprung. It was 78 degrees today when i was outside. I can't it's only february 2nd. What's going on? Um <laughs> So we're here in Austin, and Art Mendoza, the Complice Entertainment producer of this program, is here making the show run as usual, and we have an interesting and packed show this evening as usual, and first, in a little while after the break, we'll be joined on the phone from Philadelphia by Professor of Education, Dr. Zakia Y. Gates, Dr. Dr. Gates refers to herself as an intentional, transformative, culturally responsive social justice professor of education, and she'll join us to discuss what that means, as well as social justice, diversity in education, as well as why irrational thought is now the new intelligence. And then later in the program, Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment and producer of this program will tell us more about what to expect during his productions at the South by Southwest Music Festival this year, next month, coming up next month. And along the way, I'll discuss some more tips from along the passionate journey and how to get through some of those rougher times when we're hitting walls. I think it's usually around this month that people start to realize that they're not making as much progress, perhaps that they thought they would at the start of the year. So I'll give some tips for getting through the rough spots. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me and I will read them on the air. And my email address is drmara, that's a -A D-R-M-A-R-A, at com. D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L. Dot com, And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight, along with all of the website links that are mentioned by my guests. And you can also hear the podcast as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going to com slash blogtalkradio.com. Your Golden Years, and I'm also told that the podcast will pop up on Apple Podcasts now that we're on Apple Podcasts. And for information from this show and updates about upcoming shows and to learn about previous programs to listen to previous programs, go to drmaricarpel.com and also blogtalkradio.com/slash Your Golden Years and all of our previous programs since we've been on Blog Talk Radio, are now posted on Apple Podcasts. And to find out about upcoming events and future shows and information about um, the South by Southwest Music Festival, as well as to see blogs that I have posted, et cetera, Go to my Facebook page, follow me on Facebook, and you'll get all of the up-to-date information, and that is Dr. Mara Karpel, Your Golden Years. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in, I'm a licensed psychologist from New York City, practicing in Austin, Texas, and the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And I work with adults of all ages and have a specialty of working with seniors and caregivers. And for the past few years, I've also been evaluating veterans for PTSD. And part of the time, my office is in. My office is here in Austin, Texas, and part of the time, I occasionally go to the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And if you want to contact me, you can send me an email to drmara at drmaracartel.com, or you can go through my website at drmaracartel.com and click on Contact. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And sponsored by Dr. Ronald DeVere, neurologist, memory specialist, and author of the book, Memory Loss, Everything You Want to Know But Forget to Ask. To make an appointment with Dr. DeVere at his memory clinic in Lakeway, Texas, or to purchase a copy of his book, you can call him at 512-261-7909 or send him an email to rdevere. That's R-D-E-V-E-R-E at austin.rr.com. And his book is also available on Amazon. And this evening's program is also sponsored by StoryHouse. StoryHouse gathers your stories and turns them into multimedia collections that can be shared now and for generations to come. Have StoryHouse open to conduct a private interview in your home or invite them to your next big event or family reunion. StoryHouse, where your memories live. Find out more at yourstoryhouse.com or call 512-296-8752. Okay, we're going to take a brief break. It's going to be very brief, so we can play a couple of our sponsors' commercials. But don't go anywhere, because we will be right back, and we will be joined by Professor of Education, Dr. Zakia Y. Gates, and she'll be discussing social justice and diversity in education, as well as the question, irrational thought. Why is it now the new intelligence? So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: Super psychologist Dr. Mara Karpel will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive there are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle. And in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Merrick Carpel and your Golden Years, live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. All right, and we are
2: back.
1: If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Karpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpel.com. And now joining us on the phone from Philadelphia, we have Professor of Education, Dr. Zakia Gates, and Dr. Gates is here to talk about social justice and diversity in education and a few other interesting topics. Welcome, Dr. Gates. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for joining us. And I just want to mention um, that there's a slight delay when we
3: speak like this.
1: It just helps to keep that in mind. Um, okay. How are things? How are things back in Pennsylvania?
3: Um, actually, things are fine. You know, in spite of the the most recent tragedy that happened last Sunday with, you know, our fellow man Kobe Bryant and his yes. daughter, the unfortunate accident. So, um, you know, Philly is. You know, still on that mourning and grieving stage and my, my prayers and condolences to his wife, his beautiful wife, his, his daughters, his mother and father and his sisters. So it's, but other than that, you know, we're, we're holding up here. We're, we're doing pretty yeah, good. He's, uh, he yeah,
1: he's from Philadelphia. I was thinking yes. I was so focused on L.A. that I forgot about Philadelphia, but we yeah. heard about that news right before we went on air last week. So, oh, yeah, that was very sad, very sad yes. news. Yes. Yes. So, so Dr. Gates, maybe we can start off with um, a little, a little bit about your background.
3: Okay. Well, um, personally, I'm the mother of a beautiful young woman who's a, a second-year freshman at the same university where I teach. Mm-hmm. Um, but life for me started almost 47 years ago, or at least it'll be 47 years this month. Um, growing up in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, um, beautiful family that I've come from. Um, I'm also an aunt of a very lively six-year-old niece, so I wanted to put that out there, too.
2: <laughs> but um,
3: <laughs> but professionally, I have been in the field of education for almost 26 years in positions that stretch from middle-level education to a director of education in the juvenile facility, um, an specialist instructional coach, and now I am, according to my university, an assistant professor of teacher education, where I currently teach undergraduate and graduate level students on how to be teacher professionals using a social justice lens in the framework. Um, I hold a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in education from Chain University, and I also hold a Ph.D. in philosophy and education in K-12 studies from Capella University, and yeah, just recently, about a year ago, I decided to change my title through my social media platforms as the Intentional, Transformative, culturally Responsive Social Justice Professor of Education. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell.
1: <laughs> right, right. And I saw that, and that's what made me interested in speaking with you. Um, what does that title mean, Intentional, Transformative, Culturally Responsive Social? social justice professor of education. What does that mean? Well,
3: um, I know it's a long title. So it's like, try saying that five times quickly, but um, <laughs> right. the reason why um, I decided to call myself that because I feel as though people who are in education need to have titles that explain exactly what they do, because I think sometimes being teacher or high school teacher or professor pretty much hides what you do. And I like to pretty much put in the forefront about what I do, but, when I'm describing myself as this person now, I use it as a math equation. When describing myself in this title, along with social justice, so I just say to other people that I use teaching using a an you know an equity lens, um, plus creating a classroom for equity and justice, which equals a classroom of conscious young learners for the purpose of social change. So I see the social change as the key to how I teach my students to be teachers who will hopefully transform. That same social change to their future and to their current students as well. So, one of the purposes of me doing this was something that um, James Baldwin said. I think he was one of the most prolific social critics of the 20th century. And he said mm-hmm. years ago that um, if we don't educate children to live democratically, they will become apathetic or worse. And we may also create the next generation who will commit the next Holocaust, as would happen in Germany. So, mm-hmm. when I'm using um, this equity lens when I'm teaching my undergrad and graduate level students I want them to always remember that yes you teach children the content and whatever content and skill that is but if you don't teach them how to live democratically then we're going to have this problem so I'll open up the floor with this framework of James Baldwin in my courses and most of my students look at me as if, wait a minute we don't have another holocaust and we never will again but I explain to them that Just because James Baldwin said a Holocaust doesn't mean historically and contextually we're talking about Holocaust in Germany. So I said if we think about the many mass shootings that have happened, if we talk about El Paso, Mm -hmm. we talk about Douglas and Parkland, Sandy Hook, um, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, all of these things that have occurred, Matthew Shepard case years ago, all these things that have occurred in this country, the many people who are the perpetrators of these horrendous crimes with these victims I just named, They had a quality education, but someone did not teach them how to live democratically. So with my students, I show them the relationship that school and society are very tightly knit. So you can teach all day in a classroom, but if you're not teaching that other concept about how to teach children to live democratically, we may have this next generation as we already have with the mass shootings and other cases where people are racially divided, that there's violence among different races, there's violence among the genders. This is going to be an ongoing problem if we don't incorporate a certain type of model to help transform the social change with their students in the future.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, I'm going to back up just a little bit because I think, you know, some people are confused with, you know, labels. We hear a lot of labels being thrown around and, and not everybody really understands what they are. They, they make assumptions, right, about what that means. Based on you know just whatever media outlet they happen to watch frequently. Um, yes. How would how would you define social
3: justice? Um, I would define social justice, but before I do that, I always want to let listeners know that defining this this particular term is always going to be defined across um, different cultural contexts and also across different fields. That people get into Mm -hmm. but basically to sum it up social justice frameworks are models where teachers and teacher well students and teacher professionals actually are taught to actively address all of the isms under the social identity diversity umbrella if that makes sense so teaching my students my pre-service and my teacher professionals just teaching them and demonstrating how to actively address all these isms that we have How do you address the racism, the sexism, the classism, Um, even though this is not an ism, but homophobia, Um, Mm -hmm. um, phobies against against Muslims and other different religions as well. But it's so important to use that framework, but not only in the K-12 context, but also it's most important for professors who are preparing students in teacher ed courses so they can become cognizant of the changing demographics that are currently in their schools and other institutions of higher learning. So it's important to make sure that this framework is used effectively in order for us to address how our social locations in society play a huge role on how we respond to these worldviews. So if I go back to the demographics and using this model to actively address, I teach my students that all of these changing things that are happening in your classrooms, if you're white and female and middle class, especially which 63% of the teachers going into this field are white, female, middle class. How mm-hmm. do you think that you're going to reflect on them? This is not to say that white teachers cannot do it. I have wonderful students who are in field experiences right now, and they do a wonderful job. And they, they tapped into what's called the culturally responsive pedagogy lens in order to teach children of color and what's more relevant for their backgrounds as well. But if that's not addressed, to actively address it, then you just might as well throw this model out the window. But it's so mm-hmm. important to use, especially – with the changing demographics that are currently happening. Um, I know years ago when I was teaching in middle school, I found myself doing that, but I never knew that it was called social justice. I knew it was called something, but I couldn't put a name to the face about it. So in my classrooms when I was a middle school teacher, we would cover certain concepts in social studies. And I find that in social studies you can look at it from different angles. However, when I grew up, which was in the – Gen X uh, generation, everything Uh was pretty much cut, cut, dry, and mundane. So Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. That's what it was. There was no other angle to that. Um, George Washington was the first president. There was no other angle to that. It's just this is what it was, and this is what you were taught, and this is what you went on. But growing up and becoming a teacher myself, I knew that something was wrong with that particular narrative. So I teach my pre-service teachers now in a lot of my courses to make sure that you teach, your, you teach your students to counter those narratives. So with this social justice model, I incorporate a theory called critical theory. So when I do this, I let my students know that this critical theory is primarily used in the literature. However, we take a step further, you can also use it in social studies. So one of the concepts that I bring up to my students is this. Um, I tell them that, um, about the westward expansion or what they call the manifest destiny. And I said, okay, you have a classroom of fourth and fifth graders, and you're going on about how Thomas Jefferson had this ideology that 7 million Americans can migrate west and secure land and property. But I said, if you want to get into that social justice framework, that's one side of it. But to secure land and property, you have to ask your students, or maybe they can challenge you, well, that's what Thomas Jefferson said. What would the native indigenous people think about that? Who already owned the land in the first place?
2: Mm-hmm. So it's just
3: it's helping my students to help their own students to become more engaged citizens in the world, to look at things from another angle, but not to take away from what they already come with, if that makes sense. So I want my right. students to come into my classrooms with these knapsacks that they already have, and that's fine. So my job as their professor with this model is to Develop that knowledge, but also deal with the other side of the dispositions that they already come with, and then pretty much synthesizing all that together so they can more so become those engaged citizens in the world, but also pass that along for the purpose of social change. Because if we don't do that, as James Baldwin said, this generation, the next generation, and the next generation will become apathetic or worse, and we could have another Holocaust as would happen in Germany.
1: Mhm, yeah, and I think you know I think it's really important um living in the world to be to be able to look through the lens of other people, not just their own experience. I mean, I know here mm-hmm. in Texas, they require us to take um continuing education credits as a psychologist to renew our license, and now they've added in that every year we have to show that we have taken continuing education and cultural diversity because um otherwise we're just we're just viewing our clients as if they are us and that they come yes. from our
3: background right and
1: right we can't help we can't
3: help people that way this is true and i always want my students to be the best and i'm i'm not a hardcore type of professor but they know once they come inside the classroom that i really mean, i really mean business And that's where my intentional part comes in. That's where my transformative piece comes in. And the social justice is just there because I want them to be, I don't really believe in the good teacher. I don't really know what that means. I don't know what a good teacher is or what that person looks like and what they sound like and who they are. I measure things based on effectiveness and what works, what methods that you're currently using so that when I look at your students in your classroom, I can see just social justice that's going on. I can see the smiles on their faces. I can see where their bodies kind of shift because it's something that you said that really helped them to resonate in the content. So growing up, we were always told what's a good teacher, what's a bad teacher. I've seen plenty of them, mm-hmm. but I haven't really seen a good teacher. I've seen more effective. So that's what I try right. to use as a measurement as well in my in my courses.
1: So, so let me, uh, you know, uh, you you touched on this a little bit, but um, I want to I want to talk about it a little bit more. And I, you know, mm-hmm. we we appear to be at a crossroads right now in this in this country, and really in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with all of the divisiveness that's going on in this country, at the same time, I think we have a real opportunity um, because the nation is becoming so much more diverse whether yes. people like that or not it's a fact it is becoming yes. diverse and so it's an opportunity really um if we go if we take the path that you're that you're talking about <laughs> rather than <laughs> you know yeah. isolating ourselves and and building fences around our own, you know, around our own space. So
3: right.
1: um, so that even for those of us who are not involved in academia or education at this time, it's really, really important. And I guess I, uh, uh, the question I have for you is that what would listeners who are not involved in academia setting, what would you like them to know? What do you think, what information would you like them to have going forward, you know, even though they're not teachers or, um, you know, in that setting?
3: Okay. Um, I would say that first, and I know I said earlier that social justice is defined differently, but at the same time, this framework can be used anywhere. And since we're just specifying on education, I I can make it into a broader perspective as well. Social justice models, I think, should be used in medical schools. So, that those who want to be doctors are not giving this type of content. And I know there was an article out years ago that was in an actual textbook where it listed these different people under all these social identities and what type of pain they could actually take. And I know one was African Americans can take a lot of pain, um, people who are Jewish can take mm-hmm. a lot of pain. I mean, but all of these stigmas and stereotypes mm-hmm. that were attached in this textbook. So, I'm thinking to myself, if I was a medical student or a nursing student, I'm in a classroom and there's an instructor that's not counter me that to say, "Hey, do you see something wrong with this?" And that's that's an issue. If professors are not challenging the very, you know, um, text that's in textbooks right now, then we're going to have a big issue in the future for other students as well. So I encourage more people out there who are just not, who are not in academia, but just in any type of field, to challenge what is there. If something is there and something in your gut tells you no, this doesn't sound right to me. You have to counter it for the people that, you are, that are following you. So one important thing I always want to tell people is that in order for this whole thing to actually occur and to happen, you have to allow brave and safe spaces to be created. So when we talk about things with, um, with social justice, students are going to come in, regardless of who it is, are going to develop some type of knowledge base, to which everyone starts at a knowledge base. So this kind of ties into this whole thing about the irrational thought and how that's the new intelligence now and mm-hmm. why that pretty much goes on now. I think it's because people are just afraid to think. <laughs> and I, I know that sounds yeah. very basic, but people are really afraid to think. What their reason may be, we will never know. But people more so – we look in, in, in Hollywood and in media – People who think irrationally are the ones who are pretty much in the forefront and they have these public platforms. They're in the public sphere. They get the attention. And I think sometimes our young people are the ones who are watching this and they think that's okay. And this does trickle down into academia as well. Um, So when I ask my students a a certain question and I may get a certain answer, I allow my students to say what they want to say. I allow them to say what's on their mind. I allow other people to say what's on their mind who are not my students. For those listeners out there and they're not in academia so I allow people to say whatever they want to say however I also have to challenge them to say okay this is what you said now you have to explain to me how you came to that conclusion based on the response that you just gave mm-hmm. the problem with yeah and and what happens is that you're <laughs> going to end up getting silence <laughs> it's going to be totally quiet right. because that person has not been challenged on their thought process and Sometimes people like that may go through this thing called cognitive dissonance where they have been given one thought for so long and now here comes someone else trying to give you another thought, not taking away your initial thought, but giving you another thought and then people become explosive or as I stated, they become very, very silent. But maybe the silence part is good because maybe they're thinking about, oh, I didn't think about it from that angle. Maybe I'll try mm-hmm. to consider this angle from now on, but this new, thing it's almost like um a culture thing now of hey just just totally being stupid is cool now. I remember growing up being smart was cool. Now it's <laughs> now it's you know, just being stupid and saying asinine things is 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 cool now. And I'll bring up one example. Um and I'm gonna go back to this thing about Michael Brown and this whole thing with mm-hmm. social justice and irrational thought. The many conversations I've had with people about Michael Brown, I've heard the same narrative. Well, okay, I don't know why people are always protesting this Michael Brown thing. If he ran, the cop shot him, he should have done that. But you're protesting about Michael Brown. Do black lives matter when when only a white person does it, or does it matter when you take your own life too? This has been a constant narrative for years when it comes between black and white. So when Mm -hmm. people want to take something that's from a systemic and a systematic collective form of a system of racism and oppression, and they try to align it to something that's an individual basis, it's like mixing apples and oranges, and you can't do those two. So I realize that someone like that has an irrational thought, but also going back to someone did not teach that person to live democratically, because if you, if you live democratically, you would have more sympathy towards a 17-year-old boy who was shot and killed unjustly by a police officer who was supposed to protect and serve. So the whole black-on-black crime narrative, which is a total fallacy, no one has no proof, crime happens everywhere, and whoever you are Mm -hmm. amongst, things will happen. But it's just really interesting how people believe that narrative over and over again, not just interracially, but intraracially as well. And Mm -hmm. when I hear those thoughts, because I've seen it numerous times on social media, and sometimes, and I've had friends of mine tell me this, you can't rationalize irrationality. <laughs> you just you can't rationalize okay. with someone who just has those thought processes because you're coming at them with logic and ethics, and what they're using is what I like to call an ECTP, which stands for Emotionally Charged Talking Point at the moment, at the time and moment that they're talking, because that's all that they know about. So when I hear people say the whole black-on-black crime, total fallacy of the narrative, trying to align to something systemic and, and systematic, I have to challenge them on that once again. That's a social justice piece, actively engaging in those isms. So I have to ask the question of, could you please explain the relationship between something that's systemic and systematic aligned to something that's individual? And I can never get an answer. Mm -hmm. Like what does police brutality have to do with black-on-black crime? So what people end up doing is they put black people in this space, this box, not even a circle, but a box, to pretty much imply black people are inherently criminal and violent because of what they do, as if we just blow our brains out all day long. So that's the next question of, um, do you know the leading cause among African Americans? People with this emotionally charged talking point, they never have an answer. The answer is for them. The leading cause among death among African Americans is heart disease. (laughs) The very last thing on the list, according to the CDC, was homicide. And Mm -hmm. even suicide came before that. So this whole thing with um, irrational thought is now the new intelligence. It's shameful that people who bring up these narratives seem to get a public platform where it's said. And when you get a public platform and you say it, then it's out there to the public and people tend to believe it and they don't challenge it whatsoever. Um, it's the same thing <laughs> when it comes to, mm-hmm, go ahead, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, I was
1: going to ask you, you know,
3: uh, I think that, People, like you said, people learn
1: that because yeah. it's become really cool, or you know, um, it's those people get a lot of attention who who promote it. How yeah. can how can we people who are really interested in in living, you know, an intelligent life? <laughs> mm-hmm. How can they how can they um, keep from getting pulled into that trap? Because I think I think you're right. I think sometimes it's almost like brainwashing because if you watch the same thing over and over again and you hear the same message over and over again um, mm-hmm. without opposing messages, you believe it. You'll start to believe it.
3: Yes, the, the, this is true. Um, and I think Dr. Maya Angelou said it years ago, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And people like that, they're showing you exactly who they are and the narratives and the false narratives that they put putting out out there. But I think what people can actually do is know that there is always another side. But the problem is people are not Mm -hmm. cognizant or aware that there's another side. And that can go way back into their childhood. That can go way back to um, basically um, the home environment. So if we talk about um, some of the different, generations. Now, my daughter's currently gen- her generation's in Generation Z. So she's between Millennial and Gen Z. So I'm Gen X. And I realize in the Gen X um, generation that we see things black and white and shades of gray.
2: Mm-hmm. I know
3: that baby boomers see things black and white. So whatever they say, that's what it is, and you carry that on. But black and uh-huh. white and shades of gray, and Millennials and Generation Z, they see every color of the rainbow, which I think is great. <laughs> So right. with, with social media out there, there are opposing views and other views. It's just helping millennials and Generation Z, to which these narratives are more so geared towards, it's helping them to navigate to find that information. So that mm-hmm. not only starts at home, mm-hmm. but that's also in the context of a classroom, whether it's K-12, academia, a med school, nursing school, law enforcement, wherever it may be. Someone has to right. be to say, this is how you navigate, this is what you find. Or how about this? Let's dissect this. Does this even sound right to you? How does that sound to you? What lens are you using to actually say, okay, yes, yeah, that's fine. I'm fine with that type of information. But just asking those type of questions. This generation yeah. today, they like more questions. They don't want anyone talking to them. And right. I totally get that. <laughs> You know, I don't like being talking right. half the time, but they like more questions. They like the more Socratic way. You know, tap, get into my brain. So if we're right. not tapping into their brains, they're going to tap out. And yeah, it has nothing to do with the cell phones. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, right? It's, no, it's you're us, right. It's, it's our generations. You know.
1: Yeah, I. You know, you and I both went through PhD programs, and I know that they it, I was taught that I had to question everything and you know and show evidence for every conclusion that I came yeah. to but if you're not going for a PhD how often are you given that opportunity to you know or really forced in a way to come up yeah. with rational reasons for everything that you, you know, that you see and, and to be able to look at things skeptically and say, you know, is this really that is, does this make sense? Like you're, like you're saying Um, I think that it's very easy now for people to just get an, you know, get the answer that they want and then take that as the truth.
3: Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because there was a um, a video by the late great George Carlin, the comedian. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and of he him. <laughs>
3: went into yes he, he went into this whole analysis and it, it's just a it's it's about an hour long but there's a timestamp where he actually talks seriously about um, the makeup of America and the so-called American dream and explaining how the only way for you to actually believe the American dream is to be asleep to actually believe it. But mm-hmm. he gets into this whole analysis about critical thinking and why we live in a country to which he called the big brother or the big businessman. And he used other profane words that I won't say, of course, but right. he was basically talking about, like, why this country doesn't want us to think in a certain way. And his idea then, and I agreed to this, was the whole idea of control and domination. How is mm-hmm. it that I can create a, a country or a world full of robots? which bots are now trying to take over as the new artificial intelligence. So we don't we, we think irrational as a new intelligence, but we're using other technology to do the thinking force as well. And right. that's why for years I've always had a problem with Google. It's It's a great concept, and it's a great search engine, but sometimes people are using that even to try to spell certain words, and they put in the first three, and the words just come right up. You know, so I'm thinking right. to myself, what do, what do you need me for in a way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. as far as academia is concerned. But, um, but yeah, it starts in the home environment. Right? Yes, even Wikipedia, which, um, which at, can at be another manipulated institution.
1: By, it can be manipulated by anyone.
3: Exactly. And I explain <laughs> to students now when they have to do research that, please, whatever you do in APA format, Wikipedia is not acceptable for me or anyone else. You cannot use Wikipedia mm-hmm. for your research. Please not use in your presentations. is not acceptable. And they kind of, you know, they get upset about it, but as the semester progresses, then they start to understand that Wikipedia is, like you said, manipulated, but you can edit, you can do anything you want to it. I can make you believe anything in Wikipedia, anything. Right. So I say, mm-hmm. no, Wikipedia is not to be used at all in this class. Other people, that's fine. That's not fine for me at all. I want you to go through the... Search engine, Google Scholar, the, the library, academic journals, APA, in-text, this is what I want. And that's what I expect from them. So I set the bar very so I, high.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think that that's really important. And, I mean, it seems like we all need to set the bar pretty high for ourselves and yes. not just accepting what we hear but researching it and, and look really looking into it and not researching in just one favorite spot.
3: Yes, right. and I also believe that getting our students um, and, getting you know, young people especially when they're in courses, but getting them involved, using that bodily kinesthetic um, intelligence, because we have multiple ones, according to many theorists out there. There are multiple intelligences. Um, so if I have to get through to someone by using music, then maybe that's what I have to do, and mm-hmm. that's where our young people are geared towards. They're geared towards a lot of Music, hip hop, um, rap, you know, soul and R and B, some some classical, some some rock and roll, but if that's a, one of the multiple ways of those entry points of intelligence, then maybe that has to be done that way. Some mm-hmm. students have to use their bodies mm-hmm. to understand certain concepts. So, one of the things I have my students do in my class, I teach a class called Family School and Community in our education department, and we were looking at um, working with families from diverse backgrounds. And one of the basic things that people become afraid of with diversity is the big R word, which is race. And a lot of people don't mm-hmm. want to talk about it or even deal with it. Don't even want me to put it on the board, but it's a part of family school and community. So in this one course that I had last semester, I wanted to try a little experiment. It was called the in-group, out-group experiment. And I wanted them to actually put themselves into the shoes of those students who have been deprived from education, based on race, based on class, based on gender. This is what I wanted to actually Mm -hmm. feel instead of me talking about it. So I realized in in the class, I said, oh, wait a minute. All of my students here are white, female, and middle class. So I said there weren't different races in the room. But then I looked around again and I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. They all have different hair color. So I told the white females who had blonde hair to stand in one corner, the white females who had a brunette stand another and one said light brown hair stand another corner. And I wanted them to sit in certain areas of the room. And I did like a mock demonstration of what a teacher could actually do when she notices these distinctions in his or her room. Cause there are teachers who have a problem with diversity as well. And I mm-hmm. have seen these biases. And what I did was I had the blonde haired girls sitting in the very front at the in group, everyone else was on the out group. And I started to teach. So when I started to teach, I wanted to take some notes about what I was doing. So I gave all the attention to the white girls who had brunette and light brown hair. I paid no attention to the girls with the blonde hair. So if they asked a question, I went over their heads. I went to someone else. So after this experiment that I did with them, um, I asked them certain reflection questions. And I said, now, how did you feel about that? And the blonde-haired girls were the first one to say, okay, Dr. Gates, I didn't like it, and I felt like a dumb blonde. And I said, well, why did you feel that way? And she said, because I felt ignored. I'm always used to getting the attention. You didn't look at me. You didn't pay attention to me. But everyone else you paid attention to. I said, okay, so here's the point of this. This does happen in classrooms, whether it's in urban settings or suburban settings. So I said, as teachers or pre-service teachers who identify as white and as female and middle class, you have to remember that you may not be the reflection of your students in your classroom, but this is how you can deal with this because we all carry biases inside of the classroom. Right. So if we can't deal with these diversity, then maybe we're in the wrong field. Because in mm-hmm. this field of education, you have to drop that knapsack at the door. So after that was done, they start to understand that. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's um, powerful. Those, yeah,
1: that's powerful. Yeah.
3: So, so Dr. Gates, we're we're
1: about running out of time. But before you okay. go, I would love it if you have. Um, you know any information about how people can find out more information about about what you're what you're teaching? This is a really important topic.
3: Oh, sure. Um, people can reach me um, on Twitter at Zia and zebra a k i a. They can reach me via Facebook at Zakia Gates, um, LinkedIn at Dr. Zakia Y Gates, or they can. Um, Go to my direct email at Dr.gates 218 at gmail.com.
1: Okay. Um, I am writing that down because I'm going to post that on the website post uh, later this evening about this show so that if people didn't have their pen and paper ready, they could just go to my website and find the post about this show and it'll all be there. So Great. thank you. Um, Thank Thank you for being on this program. This is really an important topic, and I would love to have you come back in the future because I know there's a lot more to talk about.
3: Oh, yes, definitely. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me.
1: All right. Okay, you have a good evening.
3: You do the same. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: All right. We're going to take a brief break. Um, Don't go anywhere. We have lots more to come, and we'll be right back.
0: Please visit us on the web at www.drmarcarpel.com.
1: All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Marcarpel in Your Golden Years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarcarpel.com and now on Apple Podcast. And um That was a really interesting topic and uh, uh, you might have noticed we ran a little long because it's, it's so important, I think. And it really fits with the whole idea of living a passionate life Um, as, you know, one of the pillars of living a passionate life is having compassion. And I think that having compassion is, some people are confused about what that means and believe that it's just, you know, having sympathy or it, having compassion is really understanding where another person is coming from, even if they're not like ourselves and being able to open our, open our heart to their experience and help them to carry the weight of it. And that's true compassion. And so being able to have to step back and try to look through the lens of another person and see a different perspective is really important. And sometimes it's difficult to do that because we don't have the experience ourselves. And so that's where asking questions and really doing the research um, and talking to people and asking them how they, what their experience is like, is really, really powerful. So um, that's a really important part of living a passionate life: is having compassion. Um, because you know, as I've said about each of the different elements of living a passionate life, it's just not sustainable if we don't have a bigger picture um, when we're following our dream. Um, if we don't have a bigger picture about how our dream impacts other people and try to incorporate ways of bringing it as a gift to other people rather than um, as a competition to be better than other people. Um, The first way brings joy, and the second way doesn't really bring sustaining joy and passion. All right, so just before I go on to talk about the um, the topic that I was going to talk about, which is self-care and, and continuing on this path of a passionate life in spite of the obstacles and hassles of life, um, just some news. As I mentioned, we're now on Apple Podcasts, and you can hear all of the shows that we have done here on Blog Talk Radio if it's easier for you to listen on Apple you can do that and I since it's brand new it, it'll take a couple of days from now for you to be able to do a search and find the show I believe you might be able to search it tomorrow on Monday and find it but if not um, go to my Facebook page Dr. MariCarpel and your golden years or Dr. Mari Carpel, your golden years and I have posted the link to um, our show on Apple and if you click on that link it'll show you all of the shows we have done since 2014 which is um, since we've been here on Blog Talk Radio and um, and you can subscribe so then you don't have to go searching for it anymore so um, that's a new way to do it I'm really excited for this new way some people prefer to listen on blog talk radio. I mean, you have to have an Apple device to listen on Apple, but there are many people who have Apple devices who prefer to listen on Apple. So we have, we, we, you can hear us from any device now and it's easy. Also, the other news is that I wrote a new blog last night and the blog is um, posted now on my website and on my facebook page it's on medium.com it's on Thri- ariana Huffington's thrive global.com and um, it will be posted in savannah, savannah east.com within a couple of days and it's just a um a, a tribute to the barefoot doctor who um, wrote the forward for my book, and was interviewed on this program three years ago, and um, he passed away last week um, on the same day as Kobe Bryant. So um, I wanted to post a tribute to him and talk, you know, talk about some of the really amazing things that he has done and has, and the things that he said on my program and. Uh, wrote in my forward as well as wrote in his own book, which inspired me mean he's written many books, but the one book that i that I found in the year two thousand by him, which um the barefoot Doctor's Guide to the Tao was the book that really changed the way that I viewed the world and helped me to take the leap forward in following my passion so it was really powerful and and he was a really powerful uh, person in that way, and how he has touched many people and I think that that will continue there are many people are continuing to to use his advice I've also started posting some of the uh, the shows on YouTube so if that's an easier way for you to um, listen, you can go to YouTube and you can listen to a couple of the shows at this point, as well as watch all the videos that we've done, of interviews um, of guests who have been live in the studio and the interviews, that I, uh, the interviews where I have been interviewed on um, internet television. So that's all there on YouTube. And Art's going to tell us about South by Southwest, so I will hold off on telling you the news about that in my show on South by Southwest, and we'll discuss it when Art is on in a few minutes. But so I wanted to talk about um, getting through the rougher parts of the journey. So, you know, I know a lot of people set new intentions on January 1st, and they expect that by February they're really rolling and... Life comes along and slows things down or even throws them off the path. And I found at the end of December, beginning of January, as I had mentioned in previous programs, that I was having a hard time. I had hit a wall. And so I started to really focus on um, self-care. And looking at the parts of my life where I really wasn't doing a good job of taking care of myself. So I was really good at giving advice to other people and talking about these essential pillars of living a passionate life, um, which are really important, the compassion and gratitude and generosity and Letting yourself dream and taking action towards your dreams, very important. But I wasn't taking care of the foundation, which involves self-care. And I was eating right, I was getting enough sleep, and I was exercising. But there are other elements to self-care than that. And if we don't take care of those things, eventually it's hard to keep going And those pillars will start to crumble. So what I found for myself was that setting limits was really important. And setting limits um, for me involved being able to say no to things that that really um, won't help me or other people um, and are not really helpful on this path and will wear me out. So not constantly say, saying yes to people, but sometimes saying no. And also limiting my time um, at, you know, if somebody calls and they, they want to talk about something being, if they call at a time when I am in the midst of doing something, working on a project that I need to do or working on my work, um, my living, my livelihood, or or um, it's at a time when I'm doing something to take care of myself, taking a break, doing meditation, exercising, any of those things, then unless it's an emergency, I don't take the call or I let that person know that, hey, you know, I'm, I need to keep it brief because I don't have a lot of time right now and maybe we can finish talking at another time. Those are really hard to do. And I had come across the book by Cheryl Richardson called Extreme Self-Care. And in that book, she said that she went to a life coach herself and her life coach gave her the assignment of every day disappointing somebody That she had to get used to that, either saying no or... N- You know, limiting her time and being able to speak with them, those sorts of limits. And it's very difficult when you're someone who wants to be there for other people all the time, but if, and this goes, you know, a hundredfold, if you're a caregiver, if you're not there for yourself, then you're not going to have anything left for anybody else. You're not going to be able to take care of anybody else. So even those of us who wanna help other people, we have to take care of ourselves in order to to continue to do that in an effective way. So I have been practicing at that, being more protective of my time. That also involves putting limits on myself in terms of not going down rabbit holes, as a friend of mine called it. So a rabbit hole would be um, negative thinking, or getting involved in some sort of negative um, discussion on social media or getting too caught up in, in watching negative stories that are ready, you know, it's important to keep up with what's going on in the news, but we don't need to watch it over and over and over again and learn every little intricate detail of it. So that part has been difficult for me, I must admit. I've gotten better at it i am catching myself at least when i'm halfway down that rabbit hole um and and just getting myself out of it um and that's okay all of these anything that you're doing that's new and breaking a habit you're going to slip you're going to you're going to um do the thing you said you weren't going to do but if you the more you practice the quicker you catch yourself and correct self-correct so that's really the goal right now is self-correction until you get to the point where you've created a new habit of not doing it at all so berating yourself for um, going back to your old habit is not helpful now you've added another negative to the whole thing self for self-berating that's not helpful um So catching yourself and realizing being able, you know, that's important when you notice it and you can say, well, how did that feel when I did that? It didn't feel good. I felt like I wasted time. I started getting negative. It started taking away my energy, um, started draining me. All of those things are, are good things to notice and remember to keep you from doing it again or to start to decrease the amount of time that you do that. So that was really the main thing that I was feeling when I felt like I hit the wall. And I, and I have found that when most people, when they talk about it with me is that feeling of being drained, the feeling of having no energy, not enjoying what you're doing, The even the things that you are, your passion somehow lose their um the joyful quality, and that's because you're being drained by the other things. It doesn't mean that you're on the wrong path. It means that you're allowing the negative to pull away your energy. And when you don't have energy and when you're going down that negative path, then you do lose joyfulness um, and the ability to um, have that joyful vitality and passion, even when you're following your passionate path. So those are, that's really important. I I have found for myself, and I am, you know, observing myself and and observing other people. Um, Also, giving yourself a chance to take breaks. I've noticed that as I started to feel better and I had more energy, I started picking up more things that I was doing. Well, you know, I took a break when I felt really low energy from everything, I just took a break. You take a break for however long you're able to, you know, I couldn't do it for too long. I had to get back to work, but I took a break and I just said, that's it. I'm not doing anything. Then as I started getting my energy back, I started getting back to doing all the things that I enjoy doing and doing the work that I need to do. And, um, and I, start feeling like oh I'm doing well I feel good okay whatever this was it passed I feel good and then I realized I was starting to take on too much all over again and I could feel that little nudging that little hey you're going to start to burn out again you're going to start to lose your energy and I would feel like my energy was starting to wane and I realized I wasn't I was Back in the same pattern that got me into that place in the first place. So I have to remind myself, and I have to be really rigid about it, take a break. You need to take a break. So even if, as things are going along really well and you're really doing fantastic and everything is going great, you need to work in breaks where you just take a walk, meditate, um, draw, listen to music, just do something different, take some breaths. You need to take breaks, and that's what I, you know, I have a lot of paperwork that I have to do, and sometimes I feel like I just want to get it all done, so I don't even take a break, and hours go by, and I've been sitting at the desk. I haven't even moved my body, which is not healthy, to sit and just work at the computer for hours at a time. It's it's unhealthy for us physically and emotionally. So I have to remember, okay, it's time to take a break. All right, I finished that little piece of paperwork. Now it's time to take a break. I need to walk around, take some breaths, and then eventually go back to it. So Taking a break is really important. And then also scheduling time off. So I found that blocking time, and I was recommended this a long time ago, but now finally doing it. So blocking time for this is the time that I'm going to do this piece of work. This is the time that I'm going to work on, you know, my radio show. This is the time I'm going to work on writing. And in the middle of those, I'm going to – schedule time off from all of that so even if it's a day off where i know that okay i don't have anything due on that day and there's nothing that i no deadlines that have to be met on that day i'm going to take that day off and just relax and do whatever i want to do and not feel guilty about it so that's the hard part of course is i'm so used to doing stuff all the time that I feel guilty when I'm not doing anything. But it takes getting used to. There's going to be discomfort this, this whenever you change your behavior. When you start to do something new, it's going to be uncomfortable. And when it's scheduled, it's, uh, there's less likelihood that the guilt will last. Because you can remind yourself that, hey, I scheduled this knowing that I can afford to take this time off. And that I'll, I will have the time to to do what I need to do when I get back to it. Because I've scheduled it. I'm going to stick to the schedule. And that's it. Um, you know, I have to remind myself to meditate. Because, you know, I'm always giving advice to meditate the the guest last week Dr. Lawrence Edwards talked about meditation and how powerful it is and I still have to remember and remind myself okay go meditate even if it's just for 20 minutes yesterday I fell asleep in the middle of meditation and I was so upset with myself that I fell asleep but you know what I needed the sleep so it's okay if that happens but at least I showed up so Showing up is, is the biggest part of it. So showing up to meditate, even if you don't um, feel the benefit immediately over time, you will start to feel the benefit. Um, and so I just want to, before we go to art, I want to end with a few of the lessons that the barefoot doctor actually gave about um, dealing with stress and dealing with, Issues that might drain us and cause us to go down those negative rabbit holes. Um, When he was on the show in February 2017, so almost exactly three years ago, um, there was a lot of tension going on in the world. And um, there is even more so, I would say, going on today. But at that time, it, it was pretty tense as well. And I asked him, how do we deal with that tension in the world without letting ourselves become drained and and negative and and get knocked off course and trying to bring light into the world? I mean, the, the benefit of staying on course is not just so that we feel good, which is important, but also because we can be more effective at being a positive in the world and helping other people, and what he said on the show, one of the one of the things you can hear the whole interview if you go to my website, if you go to my Facebook page, if you go to YouTube, I all the interview is there. Um, but one excerpt from it was: everything cycles from yin to yang. It goes from easy to difficult, from good to bad, and the same thing that's good one day is bad the next day, and so on. You can take that as being either terrifying or exciting or a combination of the two. The problem is that we look at life through the model of either or. It's either good or it's bad, but as you know, in reality, it's never one or the other. It's always both. We need to not jump to conclusions or react from Fear, that was the thing that really struck me. We need to not react from fear, but rather to trust that everything and everyone is a manifestation of the same mysterious presence that informs us and makes this entire universe. That's one way of keeping ourselves even keeled, to not react from fear and to to trust things swing back and forth, yin and yang. And even more importantly, he said, we are one big family. And the more we remember that, we, the more we stop blaming the antiheroes. The more we realize that we're all in this together, that we're all responsible, then each of us has a power from right inside our heart to really powerfully influence the collective. So we really do have that power to bring more positive into the world, um, just with one kind act at a at a time. So reading re- reading what um, I had I had written in my book, that excerpt from the interview and rereading it reminded me of that that we do have that power and it has a ripple effect. And as far as following our dreams, no matter our age. In spite of the stress in the world, um, here's a tiny piece of what he wrote in the forward for my book, which I found really, really encouraging. And this is from the Barefoot Doctor. In this ever increasingly unhinged reality in which all the familiar structures are morphing or coming off their moorings, it makes sense once you've gone 50 orbits or more around the sun that you stop driving yourself mad trying to conform or keep up, and you instead grab the adventure while you still can, and with all your wealth of experience and knowledge, go forth and have a total ball. So, and just one more thing, when, when, um, The Barefoot doctor, Stephen Russell, was first supposed to be on my show in 2014. He wasn't able to connect from Italy, where he was located. And he sent me a message during the live show while he couldn't get the connection to work. And I asked him what he could tell my listeners, what he could sent what message he wanted me to tell the listeners who were listening to this (laughs) dead air. And he said, tell them life is more fun every day in spite of the hassle. So with that advice, I want to end that here. And remember to just do it and have a total ball. And speaking of having a total ball, um, Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment is going to tell us about his really fun fun productions that he is planning for South by Southwest
3: next month.
1: So, Art, are you there? Hey, Art.
4: I the north now to survive. She owed so many people she stayed alive. If you get in front of her past, she will. She'll eat you alive, it's the truth. You have a little trouble with your nose. Watch it change colors Like a rosy glow If you see your face in the mirror When it's down on its side You better hide You'll lose your hide And I'm gonna show ya make a transaction, you make a buy, well it's all in fashion, you want to try, if you seek the truth from the mountain where it grows and it thrives, they'll say she lied, you better hide. North now to survive. She owed so many people and stayed alive. If you get in front of her path, she will. She'll eat you alive. the truth it's the truth it's the
2: truth it's the
4: truth la verdad hombre ándale
1: Entertainment, who playing his own music, and Art's going to talk to us about what's coming up in his productions at South by Southwest Music Festival here in Austin in March. Welcome, Art.
5: Hello. Just wanted to, to uh, say that last week I spoke about the 20th of March, which is a Friday, where we'll be shooting your video for the first time of Dr. Mary Carpell Your Golden Years. And I named all the other bands that are going to be playing after you. And today I said uh, I would go ahead and talk about the Saturday uh, performance, which is on March 21st. And uh, Tomas, the Jasmian Devil, Ramitas will be playing with me to do a half of the presentation of Backwards on Purpose. And uh, we'll do that from 6 to 7 p.m. And then uh, after us, Bobby Mack and his band, Bobby Mack Band will be playing from 7.15 till 10 p.m. And uh, that should be really great because Tomas will probably end up playing with him as well. And Mm -hmm. then right after that, Joe James, who I think is really a phenomenal, phenomenal artist, will be playing after that. And that'll be from 10.15 to 11.15. And again, at 11.30... A young group out of San Marcus, which I think is another great group that's going to be coming up and doing some great things, is uh, the group called Blevins. So I have them both Friday and Saturday. And uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. This is the first time Accomplice Entertainment has taken on two dates for South by Southwest. And uh should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. I think that... uh Go ahead.
1: I wanted to um, ask, uh, to mention about my show on Friday. You know, I know you're talking about Saturday. But um, for listeners who want to come to be part of the audience for my show, which is at 6 o'clock, what time should they show up?
5: They need to be there. You need to be there at 530 and uh, get ready to be seated and everything because this is going to be like a production that you would see at a uh, talk show. It's not something that you see on television that's already edited. It's the actual you know, production. So you're going to have times where people are going to be moving around getting uh, videotapings again of the same, uh, like the entrance or of the audience, just so we can get B-rolls. So it's interesting that, um, that you need to be there a little earlier than normal. And then we start shooting no later than six fifteen, but hopefully we'll start at six because the entire production will be forty-two minutes shoot, which is a standard for uh, television. And uh, so, anyway, that's what's going on. We should be having a lot All of right. fun.
1: Yeah, and, uh, take us out so of here. Good. All right. I just want to let everybody know that we're going to be we're going to have one hundred free books of my book at my show that we're going to be giving away to audience members. So, we and, we'll, and we I will
5: guess. also be we'll also be giving more information as we get closer to the date.
1: Yeah. So take us out. All right, all right. So uh, before we get knocked off the air by Art, let me tell you what's happening next week. Um, next Sunday, February ninth, we'll be back with another show live from Austin, Texas, and this time we'll be joined from South Padre Island by sociologists teen and parent communication coach and best-selling author, Laura L. Regan, to discuss the issues encountered by grandparents raising their grandchildren. And we see more and more of that, so that's an important topic. And also, later in the show, a regular on this program, Paula Atherton in New York City, the great jazz saxophone player, will be joining us um, to talk about her latest record released and we'll be playing some of her new songs so I'm excited about that and we have more we'll be talking about more on the program and if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from the show and get the uh, website links or any other information that we talked about go to my website and it'll be posted later tonight along with the pod, uh, the podcast link drmaricharpell.com and also be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. And you can listen to the program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B L O G, slash Your Golden Years. And you can also listen on Apple Podcast. And again, the link to that will be on. Um, my Facebook page, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years, and it will also be on at the end of, it's also at the end of my website link about this program. It's already there. And this evening's program was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by neurologist and memory specialist Dr. Ronald Devere, and by Storyhouse. And special thanks, To my guest, doctor Zakia Gates, and of course thank you to art and thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone.
4: Celebon ton roule, that is what they all say. Celebon Ton Roulet, that is what they all say. Celebon Ton Roulet, that is what they all say. Celebon Ton Roulet. That is what they all say, it twa.
0: Guidance offered by Dr. Carpel is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpel, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli,
3: I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually.
0: Do I have to say? Yes, you do.